Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God, and especially the example of the Book of Acts Church, to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended, and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. All right, it's that time again. Time to be here on the porch. I'm glad to be here. I hope you are too. I appreciate each every one of you. I'm excited. Um, that's because we're doing the Bible study and getting together on the porch. I'm just excited because Yeshua is on the throne. Nothing's changed. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter how bad it looks, he's still in control. So I'm glad you could be here. It's been an interesting uh, time working on this Bible study. Hopefully I get the point across that the Lord wants. I'll explain more about that in a little bit. This is the community part of the porch. If you don't want to be a part of that, just go to the second shofar, pick up on the Bible study. But here's what I ask. If these Bible studies are blessing you, let us know. Put comments where you hear them. Uh, email us. Go to the website. Uh, go to one of the social media platforms. Share it with others. There's, there's no money-making scheme going on here. We just want to get the word out. We want to set the captives free, and we want to prepare the remnant for what's coming. One of the ways we do that is by praising him. Oh, praise him. Praise him all creation. I praise him. I am blessed. I am saved. I am born again, name written in the Lamb's book of life. I have my family, my wife, my sons daughter-in-law's grandson, my furry kids. I am blessed. I cannot imagine what it would be like to not have that during this time, to be completely detached from God and utterly alone. I am so happy for me, but sad for them. I'm thankful for the technology, for being here, for all that he's given me to do what he's called me to do. There's so many other paths I could have taken, but I chose his path to walk with him. I praise him for provision, protection, for the dreams and the visions, for his healing virtues and divine health. I know some of you are struggling and going through some serious stuff. Don't lose hope. Don't keep your eyes so locked on your condition you forget to look towards him, that you forget to open up the Bible and, and read his word out loud to yourself. You're asking your spirit, man or woman, 
to fight a fight for you that you are not feeding and giving nourishment to. I praise him for the revelation of the Holy Spirit, for the presence of the Holy Spirit, the fact that, as I mentioned, we are new creations, and we're living in a time we're watching things happen a little quicker than I had expected, but they are happening, and we should keep one eye on the job and one eye on the sky. So let's pray. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and they prosper who love you. That's Psalm 122, verse 6. That may not be a part of your life. Ever since I got saved to Christian Heritage Church and Pastor Shelley, my <laughs> spiritual father and mentor, taught us about the Jewishness of Jesus, as I call it. And it would be later on that I would find out that my maternal bloodline traces back through the through the vine, Jewish blood. But I pray for Israel. I care about our Jewish brothers and sisters. So pray for them. Keep that in mind. Pray for America. We need help. We need God's grace. Yeah, we had a, a tremendous victory recently, but that's just, a, that's just a small part of things. I think next week we'll talk a little bit more about that. i got too much to do tonight, and I'm already, I'm already off track. I'm praying for the people that are being victimized, fatherless, the widows, the persecuted, and the martyred, the innocents, both in and out of the womb, the poor in spirit, the victims of injustice. We will not see justice until the king returns, but until then we can pray. We can pray for them. Praying for missing and exploited children, the victims of human sex trafficking. For our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. I have that Open Doors USA band on my wrist. If you want to know where to get it, write to me and I'll send you the link. And it reminds me that I am one with them. And it reminds me to pray for them, and I do. Pray against the growing religious persecution, the anti-Semitism, the war that's coming against the church. I'm praying against the plan and, and the efforts of the spirit of the Antichrist. I believe he's out there, he's waiting in the wings, whether he knows who he is or not, I don't know. That's not important. What is important is that we do our job. Bring for divine wholeness, health, and healing that we get back to our divine design. Tell your body, tell the cells that are being recreated, tell your DNA that whatever way your body is right now, however it's broken or dysfunctional, whatever's going on, you tell that programming, get it right. Go back to your divine design. Praying for protection. We need it. We're in a fallen world. Things have escalated. Praying for inspiration, for the remnant alarm clock to go off so loud that everyone hears it. That if you've been called to answer the call, if you've been called to bless and be a blessing, there's so much to do, so many projects, so many plans. We need kingdom finances for kingdom business. The enemy funds his kingdom. God blesses people. What they do with it, I don't know. It goes into ministries that are... A waste of time, in my opinion. 
praying for our lost family members, interceding hard for them, for friends and family that I want to see in the kingdom. Junior in Oklahoma, we extend our prayers to Junior and his family due to, due to the passing of his Uncle Joe. If you remember, we had prayed for him. He had cancer. Um, so keep his family in your prayers. Kim in Fort Mitchell, we finally hear from Kim again. Welcome back, Kim. Says she's doing well and good and feeling much better. She said um, things are getting better at home. Now her and her husband are learning this transition from him out of the military to home full-time. It's a process, and they're in it. She praises her Heavenly Father for walking through this with her. She says, thank God I have a Savior who understands my humanness and loves me. She says, I feel humble and grateful for his love, patience, and forgiveness. Thank you for my sobriety. Father, help me find balance in this walk called life. Help me prioritize. Show me which road to take and which turn to make. She says, my eyes are on you, Father. Asking for protection for her children to keep them from evil. And I will add, and the evil one. She says, help me not to get distracted again. Stay connected. Uh, help me to stay connected, Father. She's asking for protection as they travel to Germany next month. Provide for them, bless them, favor them. She's asking for the porch families to be safe. She says, I need, a special, I need special favor for Maurice's passport situation and favor at her job. And she prays for this help in Jesus' name. Well, Father, here we are again in the throne room. Not just me, all, all of us here in the porch. Your kids will come to visit, come to hang out, come to hear what you have to say. Have your love on us for us to love on you. Tell you how much we love you and we thank you. <laughs> we thank you, Father, for Yeshua. We thank you that you did that. You didn't have to, but you did. Lord, thank you so much for how much you love us and what you endured and what you did for us to set us free, to rescue us and bring us comfort. Thank you for sending back your Holy Spirit to walk with us, to teach us, to guide us. Holy Spirit, we need to hear you better. I'm praying that right now for me and all my brothers and sisters that we can hear you better. Please bless this time, bless the technology, bless this word, let it do what you want it to do, Father. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. And if you agree with me, say amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. For the coming of the Son of Man, the Messiah, will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and 
giving in marriage until the very day when Noah entered the ark, and they did not know or understand the flood came and swept until the flood came and swept them away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be unexpected judgment. We should be alert. We should be cautious in our faith, active in our faith, because, you know, we don't, we just don't know when this is going to happen. They, they were oblivious. They were not only oblivious to what was coming, but even before the flood happened, they were oblivious and cold-hearted to the extent of their depravity and their offense to the heart of God. But thinking about that a lot, his heart, how much all of that hurt him. I don't think we think about that enough. But I felt like we should understand what really was going on even before we got to the flood. You know, we know the whole gospel prophecy and the lineage from Adam to Noah. Man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. So from Adam to Lamech, we have man, we have promise, we have everything's really good, and we have despair, and then Noah, we get rest and comfort. So that's what I want to, I want to talk about. What happened that we needed comfort and rest? From the loving creation of Adam to what have you done and the curse How did we get there? There's a quote that's been attributed to a number of people, but I found the exact quote and the exact person. It says, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. George Santayana, Spanish-born American philosopher, poet, essayist, he he put that quote in The Life of Reason, The Phases of Human Progress, which was a book in five volumes written from 1905 to 1906. A similar quote was attributed to Benjamin Franklin and Winston Churchill, but this exact quote, and one I can verify, resonates with me. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So I figured, you know what, let's take a look. Let's take a look at the origins of this story, which, of course, begins in Genesis 1, the creation story. Pretty basic. He speaks everything into existence. All things are made by him and through him. He makes Adam in his own image and gives him dominion over everything on the earth. Genesis 1, about verse 31, Then God saw everything he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And jumping into chapter 2, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath, and hallowed it, because in it he rested from all his works which God had created and made. I know I've talked about this. I do it on social media. We honor the Sabbath rest after sundown on Friday after we do Shabbat. It 
we've I've been doing it for a while. Excuse me, and uh, can I tell you the difference it made in my life and my walk? But we know He made everything. John one, in the beginning was the Word, the Word Yeshua. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him. Nothing was made that was made. We see in Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Which ties us to Revelation 4.11. And by your will they exist and were created. Talks about it in Nehemiah 9, verse 6, You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. So we know, because he says with the heavens and all their hosts, and then the host of heaven worship you, we know that this is pointing to the sons of God, the Beneha Elohim. And it was so good. What he did was so good. They sang and shouted for joy at the conclusion of creation. We see that in Job 38.7. The Lord himself says that to Job. So it must have been pretty awesome. They must have cheered. They must have sang. They must have shouted. They must have blown the trumpets and the shofars. It was that wonderful. And then he does something different. We see that in Genesis 2.7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This is completely different. He has spoken, and it existed. But now, intimately, personally, he forms, which in the Hebrew is yasar, to fashion a mold into a form as a potter, Adam, Adama, personally formed, molded by the Lord God, Yahweh, Elohim. And then lovingly, he creates the garden in Eden and places Adam in it. And it's good, good all the time. Everything's great. Adam's given the task of tending and keeping the garden, which makes me wonder if he was Italian, because, you know, we like to do gardening and the tomato. I don't know. Maybe not. This is two fifteen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may eat, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So he loves him. He's protecting him. He's giving him parameters from within which to live this perfect life. But he doesn't want Adam to be alone. He realizes that Adam needs companionship. 
and none of the animals that have been created and Adam has named is comparable enough for the job. So he creates Eve. Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Now remember, he formed Adam out of the clay of the ground, which we now know scientifically that the ground contains the elements of life. But he doesn't do that with Eve. He takes the rib, and basically, I don't want to use the word clones, but essentially he creates a female copy of Adam. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she has been taken out of man. You know, anybody who doesn't know what a woman is and can't explain it should go to Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And their nakedness is a state of innocence. It's a state of trust. They have nothing to be ashamed of. They're perfect. Everything's good. I mean, it is idyllic. It's calm. It's restful. They are blessed by the Lord God. They're in a supernatural place created just for them called Eden. They're there because God wants divine fellowship with them. He wants to physically bless them. I mean, what could go wrong? about a satanic serpent in the garden and a curious Eve. The story could have stopped right there. There was no reason for anything to change. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. First problem, he didn't say anything about the touching. Really, the first problem was even talking to the serpent. But then she makes a mistake in what he said. And the serpent pounces on that and says to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in that day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman, who was Eve, saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now their nakedness is no no longer innocent. They're They're vulnerable. They're filled with shame. A loss of God's covering caused them to need natural coverings. And so they go to the leaves of the ground. This shame has brought them embarrassment and humiliation. 
Now, some say it was Satan in a serpent form. Some say it was a real serpent. You look at the word for serpent, Nahash, which means the hiss of a snake. But its primitive meaning is to whisper a magic spell, to prognosticate, enchant. Could it have been Satan himself? Yeah, it could have been. Could it have been a serpent controlled by Satan that he's speaking through? Could have been too. But the voice coming out of that snake is Satan's. And he's using the vibrational nature of his corrupt voice and the sin in his heart to manipulate this outcome. The Bible throws it back to being Satan because in Revelation 12.9 it says, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Revelation 20, verse 2, He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And the he at that point is Michael. His manipulative language and his disguise as a serpent has made him the shrewdest of all creatures and a master deceiver. See, deception is his greatest tool against God's children. That same tool, I believe, the use with the angelic host when he got a third of them to rebel. I believe that same tool was used and put into the minds of the watchers so that when they came down to earth, he finished the deception and got them to do what they did. But that's another story. I believe that same deception being going to be used later on when he manipulates Cain to kill Abel. And why do I think that? Because God says if sin, if he, sin, lies at your door, well, that means Satan manipulated Cain to be angry enough to kill his brother. So he deceives us by getting us to believe things that he did not say. I see it every day. I see it on social media. I see it in discussions with people. They believe things that are not in the Bible. Did God really say? He twists the language to cast doubt on God's goodness. Please, people, don't ever doubt his goodness. Don't ever look at your situation and thinking that he's not a good and loving God. You won't die. That's what he says to her. You won't die. He's denying what God said. He's basically saying God's a liar. He's accusing God of what he is. And that's exactly how that works. They always accuse you of what they are. And he makes it seem as if it's unfair. You know, if you ate that fruit, you'd be like God. Isn't it unfair that he doesn't want you to do it? It'd be good for you if you did this. See, Eve saw and wanted which is 1 John 2.16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the physical, the lust of the eyes, the emotional, and the pride of life, the spiritual is not of the Father, but is of this world. It never changes. Hasatan is going to tempt us in any one of these three directions. He's never changed his method, and why should he? He's so successful at it. And Adam is there and doesn't refute it, for whatever reason, and agrees to it and eats the fruit. 
and it brings them both shame and a broken relationship with God. And what amazes me is that Satan did the exact same thing. He was perfection. He was in a perfect situation for all of eternity. And through rebellion and selfishness and his own desires, he gave it all up and destroyed it for others. Adam and Eve, same situation. They're in the perfect scenario. And through their mistake, they not only hurt themselves, they hurt all of creation and they hurt us. But now it's about to get personal. See, when we look at the judgment of the days of Noah, we can say, oh, that's really harsh. Why would he do that? We really have to go back to the beginning and see where this began. It began in the garden. Genesis 3.8, And I heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his, Eve, his wife Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The very trees he made for them to eat from and to tend to are now hiding them. They're their cover. It's what they're, is shielding them. A, a, a garden that he created to have fellowship with them, they're now using to evade his presence. They went from relationship and innocence to hiding from God. Lord God calls out to Adam and says, where are you? I believe what the Lord showed me years ago, at that point, you would say, well, God can see everything. Why doesn't he know where he is? At that point, he is no longer connected, directly connected to Adam. Their intimate, direct connection has been severed by sin. Satan has not only cut it off, he has hijacked it. Where are you? And so Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And Adam says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of that tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this? What is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. They went from intimacy and relationship to hiding from his presence. That that statement has really been rolling through me. What is this that you have done? What is this you have done? This isn't anger. This isn't judgment. This is an exclamation of horror because of the outcome. And what do we see? The blame game begins. Everybody, let's come play the blame game. Adam blames the gift of Eve from God, the woman you gave me. Eve blames the serpent. The serpent doesn't say anything at this point. What can he say? I was just walking by, and we began to chat in the tree. And Now, he has nothing to say. And Satan's not going to say anything. He's done exactly what he wanted to do. He planted doubt, denial, delusion, and inspired destruction. The other thing he did, and this isn't part of the Bible study, he hurt God. He took this wonderful special creation that God took all that time to mold and got him 
to rebel, just like he did. I believe he did it to destroy man, but I also believe he did it to hurt the father. It's all your fault, God, Adam says. It's this woman you gave to be with me. Yeah, by the way, Adam, that woman came from your rib, basically your DNA. You could have said no, but that's okay. A lot of people blame God. Oh, it's not my fault. I was inspired, the demons, I was manipulated. God made me this way. It's his fault. I just do this because I'm made this way. Well, like the character from Roger Rabbit. I'm not really bad. I'm just drawn that way. It's all God's fault. God put me in the home that I'm in. He gave me the marriage that I've got. It's his fault that he did this. Why, why did you let my son die? Well, he didn't let your son die. Your son made a choice. We blame him for a lot of things. Well, let me let you know in secret. You ready? The blame game didn't work for Adam and it doesn't work for us. We are personally responsible for our choices and our sin. You can you can try to get past the buck, but it's not going anywhere. It's stuck to you. You can't blame someone else. You and you alone must deal with God, and that's why when the end comes, it's just you and him. But it doesn't matter. Everybody involved in this scenario will share the blame, and they will also share the punishment. Jumping down to verse 14, chapter 3, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise her head, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Kind of indicates right there he's talking to Satan, even though he's speaking to the serpent. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then he said to Adam, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. From out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. They were judged in the order of their transgression, the serpent, the woman, then man. Each received a punishment unique to their situation, and each had their relationship, their key relationship, altered. See, the one thing about God is even in judgment, he's a God of principles. And each judgment is proportionate to the offense. And by the way, just a little side note here. The whole, you shall crawl on your belly now to the serpent, which meant that the serpent at that point walked. And people would say, oh, this can't be true. In 2006 in Argentina, they found a fossilized snake with legs, which indicated that it did walk on legs. 
The, the AP article states that a new fossil discovery has revealed that the most primitive snake known, a crawling creature with two legs, provides new evidence that snakes evolved on land rather than in the sea. Well, Bible and Genesis already knew that. And the whole dust and all that and life and coming out of that, it's taken science all these years to prove that. But the thing about that serpent and about Satan, you shall grovel in the dust that I used to create mankind, and it shall be a position of humility and defeat. This is literally an in-your-face. And I believe this humiliation further inspires later actions that Satan takes. But you remember in Genesis one thirty one, we said that everything was very good? Yeah, not anymore. And whose fault is that? Is it Satan's fault? Is it the serpent? Is it even Eve's fault? No, it's really Adam's fault. Adam was the last line of defense, and he rebelled. And by doing that, they brought death, they brought decay, and they brought destruction. Folks, this is a very long time before the flood and the ark. The curse and the rip in the fabric of man's relationship with the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, their creator began there in the garden. It's an amazing thing about a small tear in a piece of fabric. If it's not mended and strengthened, it will eventually destroy the garment, which is what it does. And the ground, which is their life, was their life support, is now cursed along with them. And then... They're banished from the garden, and angels are put there with flaming swords to keep them from going back in, because now if they go back in in their fallen state, and they eat of the tree of life, they'll become immortal, and they'll be beyond redemption like the angels. And he doesn't want that. So he keeps them safe until they they can be redeemed by Yeshua. See, the days of Noah... begin here. The judgment of the flood begins here. Mankind could have changed, but they don't. They actually get worse. But there's an end game here. There's an end game to get us to the place where we could be redeemed. You look at Revelation 2.7, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, which tells me Eden was paradise. It was not in this reality. It was Everybody's looking for it on earth. It was a special place. It's paradise. Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they have made that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now iniquities in the blood. But they're not the only ones who suffered. See, the ripple effect of sin engulfs you and everyone around you. 
Because we see in Genesis 3:21, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Even the animals suffered. They had to be slaughtered and skinned to create covering for Adam and Eve, who were once in their nakedness were innocent and unashamed. And because of what they did, creation suffered as well. The ground is cursed. The animals die. Creation is groaning for redemption. We see it every day. And if that doesn't cause you to long for the return of the king, if that doesn't stir something up inside of you that makes you want him to come back and for you to do whatever it is you need to do to tell people about him, to be ready for him, something's wrong. I I don't understand. If you hear this, if you see the end result of this, even on the earth today, and it doesn't move you, it doesn't break your heart. I had a story I told about on Facebook the other day, and it comes to mind. I was on my way to the gym. I go walk on the treadmill for about 30, 35 minutes in the mornings. And as I'm going down this road, it's a very busy road. It runs the backside of Universal. A lot of traffic. More traffic than it can really handle. It's about 9 o'clock, so it's rush hour. As I'm getting closer to the gym, I come around this corner, and I look in this little turn lane, and I see a duck, a mother duck, and all her ducklings, and they've decided to sit down, and she's trying to get them to get up. And just as I get there, she gets up, they get up, I stop my car. So everybody behind me stops. There's no reason to stop. There's not a light there, but everybody realizes I've stopped. And now I'm trying to get out of my car. I'm I'm waving my arm for people to see this mother as she's walking across with about 10 ducklings. And all I can think is somebody on my right is not going to see them and go over the top of them. And I'm going to witness that. And I'm already emotional at the fact that they're in danger. But just as she comes out the edge of the front of my SUV, the person in that right lane in a van sees them and stops. Now all traffic is stopped. And she waddles across with her little ducklings, and they get up on the the curb. And I waited till that last one was up on the curb, and I threw a fist of victory in the air. I'd have gotten out there and blocked the way. And I kept hoping that somebody wouldn't just kill them. And I've heard stories, and I've seen I've seen that happen. And why? They're just ducks. They're his creation. And we have taken their land. We've taken their, their ability to get to where they need to get. We've put up more homes than we can possibly live in. Why? Because of this. It was all good. It was all perfect. And now it's no longer that way. So life goes on. Adam and Eve have Cain. They have Abel. Cain gets mad, kills Abel. He gets banished. Things are, you know, everything was really good. Things are not good right now. They're, they're going from bad to worse. Cain's bloodline becomes the root of all sinful behavior. We talked about that last week. 
So now Adam and Eve have another son called Seth. From that bloodline comes the rescue. But the problem is they've infected the earth. Each successive generation has this iniquity, inbred sin in them. And it goes on for a very long time. I should have looked up the exact number, but it's a couple thousand years at least. And it just gets worse. Sin doesn't get better, it gets worse. It doesn't go away by itself. Which brings us to Genesis 6, verse 5. Now, we haven't heard about the Lord. We haven't heard about how he feels. We're about to hear. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I wonder what that joy was when he made Adam when he breathed life into him, when he formed him with his own hands and made him into the image of God. And now he's heartbroken, he's grieved that he ever did it. Verse 7, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made him. The story could have ended there, and it would have been justified. But verse 8 changes everything. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found unmerited favor in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord gave Noah a job, build an ark. He, his wife, his sons, their wives... Two of the animals, to each of the animals, he tells them, and he offers them a way out. See, the days of Noah that we're talking about, people talk about, and they, they write books about, and they spend all their time talking about the Nephilim, and that's just a small, small part of the situation. Because without this, without the rebellion of man, without man doing what it does, whether with Satan or with the fallen watchers, None of it happens. The days of Noah are about God's grace in a time of continuous evil that deserves divine judgment. And judgment will come, but not before the rescue. Rescue comes first. See, that's the love of God. God is love. And I know that there are people out there, a loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Well, he doesn't. He looks and sees what your decision is. Where do you want to spend eternity? And he gives you what you deserve, what you've asked for. But rescue comes first. Rescue will come for the church before judgment comes. Rescue will come for those that have chosen him and been redeemed. Those that are going to have the right to the tree of life and paradise. Noah the days of Noah isn't about ugliness and sin and supernatural hybrid human beings and all the things that we have glamorized. It's about love. It's about grace. It's about a Savior. 
I was talking with Larry today. Uh, I haven't slept for a while the last couple of nights. I'm in, I'm in that groove again, and I, I think the last couple of nights it's been both spiritual and physical. But this morning, I, I spent a lot of time just talking to the Lord. And then he asked me a question. I'm going to drop this on you. This isn't a part of the Bible study, but it kind of ties in. I was reading something about what's going on in the world. I read headlines. I try not to get caught up in the nonsense of this fallen world. The Lord asked me a question. He said, when did I ever get involved in politics or the political world system? I said, you didn't, Lord. I said, when did my disciples do it? I said, they didn't, Lord. And that's all he said. But I knew what he was saying to me. I only gave you one command. I gave you two commands. Love one another as I have loved you. But go make disciples of all men. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. We can spend all the time we want in politics and world systems and, and all these things. But folks, I'm just going to tell you flat out, some people are too worried about who's in the White House and not who's on the white throne of judgment. My eyes are on Yeshua. My eyes are on the throne room. And I know that the best way to change and stop what Satan is doing is to change people's lives. That's the job. This world and the fallen world system will go away. You could do whatever you want to do. You want to get politically involved. You want to play those games. You want to do all that and waste your time. That's up to you. I'm going to do what he did. I'm going to do what this says. I'm going to tell people about a loving God who doesn't want to have to do this because this time it'll be with fire. And a Savior. And a Redeemer. Oh, I'm going to tell them about Hasatan and the Fallen. I'm going to tell them about how they do what they do. I'm going to tell them how to fight back, push back, get your kids back, take your land back, do whatever. But the ultimate goal is to redeem things, whether it's the land or the people, to get people saved, healed, and delivered, to to steal from the enemy, to plunder his kingdom. I mean, do I care about politics? I care as much as I know it's going to bother me. But we've seen how corrupt it is. We've seen how manipulative it is. And there's no truth in it. There's no honesty in it. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it is infected in everything in the world. But if we're in the days of Noah, just like the Lord prophesied, and I believe that we are in the onset of the days of Noah, and we're going to get the whole shebang, whatever that is. You know what a shebang is? I don't know. I've never seen a shebang. What do they cost? Can you get them on sale? I will tell you this. The things that are coming, even before the ones that get out of the pit, the things that are happening now, like the days of Noah, mankind screamed out to God for help. And the church at large, not ready. Most of the remnant, maybe. I'm ready for his return, and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to help you to get ready. But first, got to understand, it all goes back to the garden. And for us to get back to paradise, we got to go back to paradise in the Bible. Remember where this started from that quote? Trying to find it. Here it is. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned 
to repeat it. And guess what? We're doing it. And we keep doing it. We keep repeating the past. We keep repeating the Garden of Eden. We keep repeating what happened, what Adam and Eve did. We continue the curse. We hurt creation. And we hurt the heart of God. And that's what grieves me the most. Hurting the Father's heart. He says in Hosea 4, verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because... You have rejected knowledge. I will reject you. No, we can't reject his knowledge. We can't reject this word. We can't reject the example of Eden. And I don't want to get back to the Garden of Eden. I want to be in paradise with the Lord, wherever that might be. And, of course, the four-square city, hanging out over Jerusalem. I never got to see Jerusalem and, and Israel with Shelley. He'll be in his glorified body and young. I'll be in my glorified body and young. He'll take me around. We'll fly around. We'll check out Israel. Maybe we'll pop over to Italy. I'll check on Sicily. I don't know. But I do know this. Until that time happens, I have a job to do. I don't, I don't say you do. I say I do. I have a job to do. Set the captives free. Destroy the work of the enemy. Live out Luke 4, 18. Break open those prison doors. Cut those chains. Get the lamb out of the lion's mouth. Father, please, please forgive us. Forgive us for the bloodshed. Forgive us for what we've done to your creation. Forgive us for the millions of babies that were hacked up and murdered in their mother's womb. I know your judgment will come at your time. So I'm not praying for judgment. I'm praying for grace and for mercy, for you to set the captives free, to open their eyes. Because those that are reprobate are going to have judgment no matter what happens. But there are some out there that are just lost. They've been deceived. They've been mesmerized. They've been enchanted. Give us the power and the strength and the desire of heart to go out and minister to them. And Father, as I said to you all day, I'll say it to you again. I'm sorry for my part in hurting your heart. And for those that have done it that don't know or don't care, I say I'm sorry for them too. Let your Spirit guide us Help us, Lord. Help us to get this deep, deep, deep inside of us and propel us out there to lay hands on the sick, to do what you did when you were here. And I pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. As it was in the days of Noah, it is again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.